0: Today, moving deeper into the series, open invitation and exploration of Luke's gospel, you guys get a two for one deal. How great is that? We're actually going to be reading a a longer story in Luke's gospel. It's actually like sixteen verses. I know it usually takes me like four weeks to get through sixteen verses, but we're going to conquer sixteen verses today. In this open invitation series, this journey through Luke, and it's because um, all these verses are held together. Um, They have so much to teach us, and we are just going to jump right in to this two-for-one deal. The title of the message, Don't Bother. Don't bother with that now. That's going to come clear in time. So let's just pick up in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. We're reading all the way through verse 56 today. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. They were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on the way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and her bleeding immediately stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Ah. Then the woman, seeing that she could go, not go unnoticed, came trembling at his feet, fell at his feet, In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the home of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up, and Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So there's a lot happening in, the, in this story that's actually two stories smushed together. So we're going to unpack all of it, but let's start back at the beginning of what we just read, because it started out by saying, now when Jesus returns, so let's remember where he is returning from. In the story previous to this, which we looked at last week, Jesus had gone across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. He'd gone into Gentile territory where everything is unclean and all the people are unclean, and he was met immediately by that uh, man possessed by a legion of demons, and he delivered and healed that demon-possessed man. And now, he returns to familiar territory. When he left the garrisons, how did he leave? Well, they said, get out of here. He was very much unwelcome. They asked him to leave. But in familiar territory, back here in the land he's used to and his disciples are familiar with, they, there is a crowd waiting, a crowd Welcoming him. They are expecting him. What a drastic change of scenery. To go from get out of here, we're afraid of you, and don't come back. And now he is surrounded by a huge crowd of people welcoming him with open arms. A hero's welcome, it seems like. In fact, we're told the crowd is so large that in verse forty-two it almost crushed him. A huge welcoming crowd, like a, a rock star moment, Jesus gets off the boat to a much different seen. There is one thing that stays the same, though. It seems that as soon as he gets off the boat, he's met by a man who falls at his feet. if you notice, this actually happens again later in the story. This happens a lot in Luke's gospel. Jesus' power is sort of communicated to us in this way. But a man falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, that's where the similarities end, because the man who did this in the region of the Gerasenes was so many levels of unclean. He was in Gentile territory, he was a Gentile man, he was demon-possessed, and he lived among the tombs. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Now, who do we have approaching Jesus at his feet? Jairus. In 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 territory? A guy who's not unclean. In fact, he's a leader of the local synagogue. A very well-respected religious Jewish gentleman. Unlike the guy from the Garrison. So what in the world? Is this guy doing, having a similar posture to the desperate demon-afflicted man across the lake in the Gerasenes? Well, it's because Jairus has a different kind of desperation. Jairus is going through a very unique trauma. Because the experience or even the threat of losing a child is a uniquely gut-wrenching kind of suffering. And that is where Jairus is right now. So on Monday, January 2nd, according to statistics and averages, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but approximately 8,000 people in this country died. You know, just on average, when you break it down, how many people die per day, and you base the averages on the months of the year, probably somewhere around 8,000 people passed away. Neighbors of people who live in this country, which kind of I thought was a, a, a high number from what I was expecting, but about 8,000 people on average would have died on Monday, January 2nd. Likely, you didn't know any of them. However, there is one person whose heart stopped beating on that night that probably most or all of us now know about, and his name is Demar Hamlin. If you know the story, I'm just going to give brief highlights. If you don't know the story, prepared to be absolutely blown away. Because early in that night's nationally televised Monday night football game on a relatively routine play, DeMar Handlin made a tackle, got to his feet, and then collapsed on the field and experienced cardiac arrest. His heart stopped beating. Trainers and medical staff rushed to him on the field. They knew immediately something was wrong of significance. This was not any sort of normal type injury that they usually deal with. And so for the next 10 minutes, they assessed his condition, and they used both CPR and eventually an AED to get his heart beating again. But for 10 minutes, that young man was lost. And when they did get his heart to start beating again, he still was not able to breathe on his own. He was taken to the nearest level one trauma hospital there in Cincinnati where the game was, and his mother, Nina, accompanied him in the ambulance. I don't know if you watched the coverage. I hadn't been watching it, and I tuned in, and it was just surreal. No one knew what to do. Players, coaches, referees, the commentators, they, just, they were at a loss for what, how to talk about what they were seeing in front of them. Eventually, the game got postponed. Everybody went home from the field, and we just waited for updates i 'm not one that typically refreshes my phone on a regular basis, but that day I was like what 's happening what 's the latest what 's going on with this young man and Details trickled out over the next uh, that day and, and the day after we heard that he was in critical condition. He was under sedation. he still needed the breathing tube, so he was on a ventilator. He was not able to completely breathe on his own and during those couple days the amount of unity and concern that happened was absolutely incredible. It was astonishing. Obviously, within the football world, but even beyond the football world, the level of coming-togetherness that there was was absolutely unreal. Even before the hospital, the ambulance left the field, you had players just bowing down and breaking out in prayer from both teams, just saying, we need to pray for our teammate. Later on that night, there was a vigil outside the hospital with fans from both teams. I don't know if you can see that. There's Bengals fans and Bills fans. And if you know anything about the NFL, they don't like each other very much, generally speaking. On this night, they definitely didn't. And yet, there they were holding vigil together, right there, outside the hospital that night. And beyond that, there were millions of people, I'm not overestimating, millions of people praying for this young man, including, if you saw the clip, a pretty well-known football analyst on a nationally televised football show who basically said, listen, we're all talking about thoughts and prayers for DeMar, I'm just going to actually pray right now. And he did. He just prayed, and his co-hosts bowed their heads with him. And it wasn't long, it wasn't showy, it wasn't uh, anything about him, it was just saying, we all say we want to do this, let's actually do this. And so he did. I read in those days, there were even Twitter comments that I saw some people, some guys said, I'm an atheist, but I'm going to pray for Damar. Like that's how much togetherness was happening over the condition of this young man. And he has a a foundation that he created a couple years prior when he entered the NFL, a foundation that's actually based in McKees Rock near Pittsburgh, not too far from where we're located, where he grew up. And it's Uh, a foundation that he created to try and and bless the kids of his old neighborhood. Um, Toy drive, something like that. Very small goal. They had a goal on GoFundMe of raising $2,500 every year to do a toy drive and other things for kids. And in the days after what happened to him, that very modest $2,500 goal was overwhelmed there were over 2 almost 250,000 and you think i'm going to say dollars 250,000 donations totaling almost 9 million dollars 2500 to 9 million dollars and i just have to say as broken as humanity seems sometimes there is still something designed within us that makes us want to love other people especially when they are hurting and i wonder how many people went to the GoFundMe. maybe people that have been scarred by the church and they say i can't pray anymore but i i need to do something there's something in me that wants to do something i will support him in this way by giving to this thing that he so clearly cared about and over the next few days good news was released His vital signs were getting stronger. His neurological testing was positive. He needed less and less support from the ventilator. He woke up. He held hands with his family. Eventually, the breathing tube was removed and he was able to speak with his family and speak with his doctors. And one of the first things he said to them was, Did we win the game? And if you know the clip, the doctors, without missing a beat, said, You won the game of life. You're alive. So he spoke to parents, he spoke to his doctors. By Friday, he was able to do a brief video chat with his teammates, which was incredible. They actually surprised them with it. It was an an incredible moment. He watched the Buffalo Bills' next game on the television while he was still in the ICU, less than a week after collapsing on the field. They ran the opening uh, kickoff back for a touchdown, and he jumped out of his chair and was jumping around, setting off every ICU alarm that was connected to his person at that point. One week after he collapsed, he was cleared to fly back to Buffalo to continue rehabbing in that hospital. Two days later, he was released to go home to continue his rehab, and I read a notification just last night that he met with his team yesterday in preparation for today's playoff game. And this week, as I read about Jairus, I thought about Nina Hamlin. That's Nina with her husband, Mario. I thought about Jairus falling at the feet of Jesus with his 12 year old's life fading. And I thought about Nina riding in that ambulance with her 24 year old son's life in the balance. And how closely connected, even though separated by thousands of years and who knows how many miles of geography. Because listen, whether you've lost a child, in the earliest weeks of pregnancy or said goodbye to them much later in your life, you know, or maybe you know someone who has, there is no pain in the world that is like it. And so that is why Jairus is here at the feet of Jesus. And the crazy thing is, Jesus hears his plea, and he leaves the crowd to be present in this pain with this particular person in his family. He leaves behind hundreds or maybe even thousands of people who at this point may be chanting his name, and he says, I will be here in this pain with this person right now. And I wonder, is Jairus here at Jesus' feet? Because one of the last public things that Jesus did before he got on the boat and went across the lake was he was passing by a funeral procession for a young man who left his mom as a widow with no sons or daughters, and Jesus stopped and touched that coffin, becoming... Unclean, but bringing that boy back to life. I wonder if Jairus said, I heard about that, or I, I, I saw that. Somebody told me that that happened. Maybe this guy, maybe he can be the solution. And Jesus hears and he agrees, let's go. But then they get interrupted along the way. Making his way through that thick crowd, Jesus is stealthily touched by a woman with a chronic bleeding condition. And I thought about that moment, and I thought, can you imagine if DeMar Hamblin's ambulance on the way to the hospital, if the driver saw somebody on the side of the road that he or she knew was struggling with a chronic health condition, non-life-threatening for about a decade, and said, all right, we're going to make a pit stop, and we're going to help this person. No, unthinkable, and yet Jesus does the unthinkable, because when this woman sneaks up behind him and touches his cloak, he knows something has happened. One of the things I think this story teaches us, and this used to be one of my main points until we wound different directions, is that both of these stories to me teach us that God in Christ is willing to be interrupted and even redirected. God is willing to be interrupted and redirected, even making a journey to this really important situation. This woman had been trying to treat her condition for, we're told, many, many years. Mark's gospel says that she spent all of her money and only got worse. Man, it's bad enough being sick, but to be sick and bankrupt from treatments that didn't work, that's just double pain. If we assume that the young girl's condition was something that maybe came up rapidly, which I think is relatively safe to assume, then what we're also seeing here, we have two very, very different kinds of suffering that are happening. That little girl and this woman, two very different kinds of suffering. It couldn't get more different if you think about it that little girl surrounded by people and this woman all alone but despite the differences i think when we read this story we're intended to connect the two because not only are they literally sandwiched together and this happens in the gospels and it's it's fascinating a story begins one is inserted in the middle and then that previous story ends they're sandwiched together but did you catch the detail how old is this young girl Jairus' daughter she's 12 How many years has this woman been suffering from this chronic blood condition? Twelve. As readers of Scripture, we should go, okay, okay, okay. This, This all needs to be brought together to connect. I think one of the things that it teaches us is that God is present, available, and speaking in all kinds of suffering. Whether it's out of nowhere and acute suffering, or whether it's chronic and long-term and everything in between, regardless of age or any other factor, God is present, available, and speaking. Sometimes we tell ourselves that our suffering isn't important enough to bring to God. I don't know how many people I've counseled who use something like the phrase, I know there's a lot of people who have it way worse than I do. Yeah, probably, but that doesn't minimize What you are suffering with, your suffering and struggle still matters even if there are people who have it worse off than you do. The other thing we learn is just like in the story with the demoniac from the Gerasenes, in this story, Jesus takes this idea of what clean and unclean look like and turns them upside down. Because in her world, this unclean woman touching Jesus physically would have made Jesus unclean. But what happens? She touches him and the wholeness of Jesus heals her brokenness. Clean and unclean are turned upside down. According to the Jewish codes and laws and regulations, this woman would have been constantly ceremonially unclean for 12 years. 12 years! Constantly Unclean. In order to be declared clean, she would have had to stop bleeding for seven full days. Do you know what 12 years of constantly unclean looked like? She would have not been permitted to touch another human being because she would have made them unclean. Anything she touched in a household would have become unclean. Any food that she made to eat would become, you guessed it, unclean. I read one commentator this week that said this woman was as good as dead to the world. She might as well have not existed because her unclean state disallowed her from so many of these things that are critical to us as human beings. And so she sneaks up behind him, thinking if I just touch the edge of his cloak. She has the hope of sort of remaining anonymous, but I also love it, her faith is so great that she says, I don't need to, to see him face to face. I don't need him to reach out toward me. If I just touch the very edge of the fabric that he's wearing, I believe that I can be made well. Which then leads us to a really fascinating part of the story. Because it seems Jesus does not know who healed him or who he healed by reaching out and touching them. You read the story, it almost looks like Jesus healed this woman accidentally. Like, what just happened? Which leaves us asking, how does Jesus not know? Jesus is God. How does he not know? Listen, there are many different ways to answer that question. Here's what I'll say for this morning. It's entirely possible that Jesus, in his humanity, intentionally chose to limit or to shroud his divine omniscience. Being incarnated in human flesh was already a limiting experience for an omniscient, omnipresent God. And so I don't think it's out of the ordinary that Jesus is saying, who touched me? And I love, I love Peter's practical response to this question that Jesus asked. Practical, and when I read it, maybe mildly annoyed and impatient. Jesus is like, whoa, hang on, stop the procession, who touched me? And looking around, they're all like, no, not me. Nope, no, it wasn't me. Who did it? And Peter's like, dude, look around you. There are people on all sides of you. This crowd almost crushed you. Any of them could have possibly touched you. We're on a schedule. Let's move it along. That's my interpretation, my translation. But I feel like that's what Peter carries into that moment. What does it matter? Let's keep moving. But Jesus is insistent. Who touched me? And eventually, this woman realizes I am not going to be able to stay anonymous, so she comes forward, and we read that she falls at the feet of Jesus, a common theme, and she is trembling as she does so. Why is she trembling at the feet of Jesus? Well, first of all, her plan was for a drive-by healing, like a drive-through situation. And now there is no anonymity to this at all, so she's already trembling from that. But just imagine if she's found out by this large crowd as a hopelessly unclean person intentionally reaching out to touch not just anybody, a wildly popular prophetic rabbinic sage like Jesus, that was going to go really, really bad for her. Imagine if she made Jesus unclean and now his healing ministry has got to shut down for seven days because... He can't touch anybody. He's now ceremonially unclean. No wonder she's trembling as she falls at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus is relentless in his pursuit of her until she falls down and essentially apologizes for being healed. And then he declares this over her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. This pronouncement, first of all, would end all of the social ramifications of her now healed physical condition. Because when this super popular teacher, prophet, healer publicly announces that her bleeding is over, guess what? She gets to return from the dead. She gets to be received back from the dead by all the people she's been disconnected from because of her unclean status. But I think it's maybe a little more than that. I think Jesus relentlessly pursues her because I feel like he doesn't want her to have this understanding of and experience with the divine as just a faceless, pragmatic power. He wants to connect her to a person. It would have been very easy for her to touch the edge of the garment and go away. There's a power that healed me. And listen, this is where all of our very well-intentioned talk of a higher power and an eternal force They fall short because the power that delivered this woman has a name. And that name is Jesus. And Jesus wants to connect her personally to him. And so he proclaims her healed and says, go in peace. And while he's still talking, a messenger comes. And Jairus and everybody around hears that heartbreaking news that he's feared all along that his daughter has died. I mean, talk about going from the highest mountaintop to the deepest valley. Everybody around has watched this woman. She's trembled, she's crying. Jesus says, no, it's every you're healed. And, and, and people who knew her are like, she's been, it's been so long. And so you have this huge uh, celebratory moment and then right afterwards they get the news that Jairus' daughter has died. And it's at this point that this nameless messenger speaks one sentence that I think pulls these stories together when he says, don't bother the teacher anymore. I think this is a hinge in this story that is two stories brought together into one. Here's why. I think it applies to both of them. Because after 12 years of disconnection and despair and all the spiritual exhaustion that comes along with that and with a massive crowd in her way, that bleeding woman could have easily told herself, don't bother the teacher. And in fact, that's what people told blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. He's like, Jesus, save me. They're like, shut up. Stop yelling. He's got better things to do. She could have easily told herself, Don't bother the teacher. And for Jairus, after receiving that gut punch of the most devastating possible news, and just having seen firsthand the healing potential in Jesus, he's now tempted to move quickly and heavily from desperation to despair because a friend now suggests, Don't bother the teacher anymore. And the best news of this story is Jairus' messenger was absolutely wrong. Yes, bother the teacher. Bother the teacher. Bring those things to the teacher. Or to borrow from the iconic words of Steve Perry and his closest friends, don't stop (laughs) believing. You can hear the piano intro now, can't you? I know, I know. He's so tempted to jump up right now. And you know that I looked up this song and that I have factoids to share, right? You know that that happened? So so this song, first of all, it's four minutes and ten seconds long. Do you know the first time we hear the chorus of the song, Don't Stop Believing? Three minutes and 22 seconds in. It's almost over by the time you get to the chorus. It has two pre-choruses and three verses first before the chorus. That's terrible songwriting. It's just bad. But I'm also wrong because this is the best-selling digital track from the 20th century, downloaded over 7 million times. So I don't know what I'm talking about. They clearly did. And here's my favorite factoid. This song was recorded in one take. (laughs) One take. This iconic song, downloaded millions of times, heard who knows how many times, One take in the studio to record Don't Stop Believing. But I actually think it's a great description because what does Jesus say to Jairus? Don't be afraid, just believe. And when I hear Jesus saying this, I picture him with Jairus on this side and this freshly healed woman, and I picture him going, don't be afraid, just believe, and like glancing and nodding, like, you just saw this. Keep believing. Let's keep walking. And guys, it's not an easy choice to keep believing. Jairus has to walk through a house full of mourners and be reminded of the heaviness of that grief. He has to hear the mocking laughter of the people when Jesus is like, what are you doing? She's not dead, she's just asleep. And they mock them with laughter. Sometimes you have to choose between the mocking laughter and carrying on In the faith, but his choice to bother the teacher with the remainder of that journey results in him receiving his daughter back from death. In one story, Jesus takes two women from death and brings them to life. So let's think and pray through a few things in conclusion with what we've talked about today. And the first couple are really just prayer prompts for us this morning. The first one Do you know someone who has recently experienced a traumatic and maybe unexpected event? Maybe God brings that person to your heart. Pray for peace and for healing in that situation. Or on the other side of today's story, do you know someone who's been suffering a chronic condition for a long time, maybe that limits their engagement with other people? Pray for peace and pray for healing today in that situation. Or, what about you? Is there something happening in your life right now that's causing you to lose faith or to give in to fear? Take this time of silence and invite Jesus to enter into it with you. And lastly, if nothing else, take a moment to give God thanks for his willingness to be disturbed, interrupted by us when we need to fall at his feet. I'm going to flip through those one last time. Hopefully, something grabs your heart to think and pray on. And we're going to close that time of silence and reflection in a moment with a word of prayer.